0: Beginning with verse number 13 has been our text. Uh, We'll go ahead and use that again today. I've been thinking we may, in some future lessons, uh, change our text while we still continue the same series of study. Matthew chapter 16, beginning with verse number 13. Matthew 16, verse 13, when Jesus came into the coast of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, Whom do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? And they said, Some say that thou art John the Baptist, some Elias, and others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. He saith unto them, But whom say ye that I am? Simon Peter answered and said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus answered, in heaven. Amen. Praise God. Let's put our Bibles down. Let's lift our hands and lift our voices. Let's ask the Lord to talk to us today. Can we do that, everybody? Let's talk to the Lord right now. We thank you, Lord. We thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, amen, amen. God bless you. You may be seated. I spent quite a while in review last week, and I don't want to do that again today. As I said, I'm trying to be aware of the time and the weather, and uh, I want you to feel like you, you uh, got your efforts worth in coming this morning. And I want God to talk to us for a little while, but I also want to give you a little opportunity to maybe slip out a few moments early if possible and and uh, so you can get back home and and have a little bit of time to rest and refresh yourself before tonight so rather than go through a lengthy um, review, let's just touch on the basic points that we need to always keep in mind the first one being that the Godhead is not a mystery beyond comprehension. It's not something that man cannot
1: understand. Amen. Romans 1 and 20. Read it again. For the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen. Okay. Now amazing. wait, wait, wait. Are what? Clearly seen. Alright, everyone say it. They're clearly, seen. They're clearly
0: seen. They are clearly seen. Being understood. Being What?
1: Understood Uh by the things that are are made, even His eternal eternal power power and Godhead,
0: so that they are without excuse. And so Paul said when it comes to the Godhead, the Godhead is among the subjects that are clearly seen, it is understood, and there is no excuse for not seeing and understanding it. It's extremely simple. It's not complicated. It only becomes complicated when man starts putting his ideas and his opinions into the subject. Man just has a way of complicating the matter. Have you seen new math? I'm telling you, new math is the craziest thing I've ever witnessed and trying to figure out what it is. They're getting kids to do. I don't know. But addition and multiplication and division what their new math is far more complicated and confusing than the old and simple math. It just is. That but listen, that's the way it works when men get involved. When men start putting their opinions and their ideas into anything, it's only going to get more complicated. And, and, and quite honestly, the reason for that is because of this little factor we call ego. Right. We all have it. And we all need to crucify it. Well, praise God. But men's ego, they want to convince people how good they are, how smart they are. And in so doing, they just get more and more complicated. And uh, uh, I've got to be careful. I said, I'm going to I'm gonna try to hurry, so I, I'm, gonna, I'm not going to get too, too sidetracked. But um, uh, it is amazing sometimes uh, how complicated men can make things. And they did when they came up with this doctrine called the Trinity trying to teach that there are three co-equal, co-eternal, co-existent persons in the Godhead, Um, and yet there's only one God, though there are three persons. I'm telling you, that is confusing. That is a mystery beyond comprehension. But the Godhead, as taught to us in the Bible, is really a very simple subject. Very easy to understand. Let's go through the four principles again. I hope you've got them memorized. Oh, I heard about three amens. What are the rest of you doing while I'm teaching? Dreaming about Wendy's after service, sir? We should be able to quote these. You need to know these. Principle number one.
1: Hear, O Israel,
0: the Lord. Deuteronomy 6 and 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. Principle number one. There's only one God. Right. All right. That is the first and foremost principle. It is the most important principle in all of the Scriptures. Jesus said so himself. Right. It is the first of all the commandments. Hero Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. So whatever else we're going to believe, we cannot believe there's more than one God. Uh, principle number
1: two comes from John four and twenty four. God is a spirit. God is is a spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit. Now we pointed out
0: Jesus was talking about the Father when he used this term God, and so what we know is the Father is a spirit. That's principle number two. That one God, the Father, is a spirit. So anytime we read about the Father, we need to think. All right, that was pretty good. Amen. When we read Father, we need to think Spirit. We don't think separate person. We don't think somebody else in the Godhead. We're thinking the Spirit that has always been and will always be. The Father is an omnipresent Spirit. That means He's everywhere. A person cannot be everywhere. He's not the first person in the Godhead. He's not even a person. The Father is a Spirit. He's omnipresent. He's everywhere. He is immortal. It means the Spirit cannot die. The Spirit has always been and will always be. And third, He is invisible. He's invisible. You cannot see God. And we read many, many scriptures that teach that man has never seen God and cannot see God. Because God is a spirit that is everywhere. It's not possible to see God. Alright. So, so that's principle number two. Principle number three comes from Luke 135.
1: And the angel answered and said unto her, The Holy Ghost shall come upon thee, and the power of the highest shall overshadow thee. Therefore also the holy thing. Which shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God. So that which was born of
0: Mary is what we call the Son of God. Uh, Jesus said in John chapter 3 that that which is born of the flesh is flesh. Mary was not a spirit, Mary was flesh. Therefore, whatever was born of Mary was flesh. And the angel said, that which was born of Mary is what we call the Son of God. So when we read about the Son, we should always think flesh. We read about the Father, we're thinking spirit. We read about the Son, we're thinking flesh. As the Son, He grew weary. As the Son, He got hungry. As the Son, He suffered. As the Son, He wept. As the Son, He died. All of those are things that happen to his flesh. Alright? Right? And then principle number four brings it all together. We get this from 2 Corinthians 5 and 19. To wit that God... Was to wit Christ. that God... That's the Father, which is the... Spirit. Spirit. So to wit that the Spirit... What? Wait a minute, wait a minute, back up to where I left off. To wit that God, or the Spirit,
1: Was was
0: in Christ. That's the Son, which is the flesh. Reconciling the world unto Himself. Now look at this. Here's what Paul said. We know, to it. we know that the Spirit was in the flesh reconciling the world to Himself. Not themselves. Not two different people. Not the Father's the first person, the Son's the second person. But what we see in 2 Corinthians 5.19, the Father, the Spirit, was in Christ, the Son, reconciling the world to one being. Himself, singular, this is what we know, that when we look at the man Christ Jesus, yes, he was flesh on the outside. And it's that outer flesh that we call the Son. But on the inside of the Son was the Eternal Father. Jesus was not just a man, but he was God and man. At any given moment, he can act as God or he can act as man. He could speak as God or he could speak as man. And I'm telling you the answer to any issue you've got in the New Testament that involves the Father and the Son, you just look at it in these terms. You ask yourself, is Jesus speaking now as the Father or is he speaking as the Son? Listen, there have been times, because I am a father and a pastor, there have been times I've had to set my children down and say to them, I'm not talking to you as your dad right now. I'm talking to you as your pastor. Because I've had to give them spiritual advice that I wanted them to understand. This is not just some old folky daddy that's out of touch with everything. This is what I feel in the Holy Ghost. Alright? And they've got to understand who's speaking. Is it father or pastor? There have been other times that I've given him advice and I've just admitted. Now look, this is daddy talking, alright? I'm not saying this as your pastor. I'm just telling you the way dad looks at it. Alright? So does that make me two different people? Absolutely not. And the same thing is going on with the man Christ Jesus. He could speak at any time as the father. He could speak at any time as the son. He could act as the Father, He could act as the Son. Because He was both. According to Isaiah 9 and 6. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. A son, a son, a son is given. And the government shall be upon His shoulders. And His name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, and the Prince of Peace. The Son shall be called the Father. That's what Isaiah said. Amen. And so, He was, He was both God and man. And that's what we need to understand about Him. Praise God. We talked about this. We went into great detail on this fact last week. And so now, now, we come to to the conclusion of the matter. And that is that there are not three persons in the Godhead. The Father is not the first person in the Godhead because first of all, the the Father is not even a person. Jesus is not the second person in the Godhead. Colossians 2 and 9 says, For in Him that is, in Jesus dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. Jesus is not in the Godhead. The Godhead is in Jesus. This is important. We need to understand this. All right? So, so this, these are the things... That, uh, that we've tried to point out over the last few weeks. So let me, let me pick up here and go through a few things. I want to talk to you about a few scriptural examples that further show to you how that God was in Christ. How that there is only one God. I'm going to give you just a few of these, and then, Lord willing, the next time, we're going to start into some questions that I've received. Questions that I've been asked. By Trinitarians. And we're going to deal with things like, let us make man. You ever had anybody ask you about that? Why did he say, let us, if there was only one up there? And we're going to answer that question, all right? We're going to deal with what Stephen saw when he looked steadfastly into heaven and saw Jesus and the glory of God. Jesus standing at the right hand of God. We're going to deal with what that means. All right? We're going to deal with what happened on Jordan's banks when Jesus was baptized and a voice spoke from heaven and the Spirit descended like a dove. We're going to deal with all that when we get to the question section. All right, but let me just take a few moments today and deal with just a couple of things that I think are important to help us get a clearer picture of the fact that there's only one God and His name is Jesus. Amen. Let me start out by talking to you about the plan of redemption. I've said it many times behind this pulpit and will say many more times if God allows me a few more years. I can promise you, you're going to hear it over and over and over. But it's simply this. God was not surprised by the fall of mankind. God did not, all of a sudden, uh, wake up one day and say, oh no, what have I done? Look at man, he sinned. How am I going to fix this problem? It didn't work that way. I'm telling you that before God ever created Adam and Eve, He already had a plan to redeem them. He knew what they were going to do. He understood that man was going to commit sin, and that because of that, man would have to be redeemed. Right. He knew that from the very beginning. Let me show you something. Revelation 13 and verse number
1: 8. Listen to this. And all that dwell upon the earth shall worship him, whose name names are not written in the book of life of the, the Lamb slain from the, the foundation of
0: the Lamb. Birth. Slain from the foundation of the world. Hallelujah. Now listen to me. It wasn't that Jesus was crucified before the world was made. It's that in the mind of God, God already had a plan. Before He ever laid the foundations of the world, the Lamb of God was already having to be slain in the mind of God. God knew that man was going to sin. God knew he was going to design a plan whereby it required the shedding of blood in order to redeem mankind. God knew there had to be a perfect lamb that could be sacrificed. And that lamb was not an afterthought of God. That lamb was not something God came up with off the cuff. It's not something God had to sit around in heaven and fret about. But before He ever reached down and scooped up the sand of the earth and made man, already in the mind of God, He had a plan. He already intended for the lamb to be slain. This was from the beginning, from the foundation of the world. Amen.
1: John chapter 1 and verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God.
0: In the beginning was
1: the Word. Everyone say Word.
0: In the beginning was the Word. Now we understand... And and generally when we read about the Word in the Scripture, we are talking about the Bible. We understand that. Uh, And the Bible is the written Word. But here, Word comes to us from from a different Greek source. Uh, It's not rhema, which is something you speak, but it is lagos. And Lagos is more than just words that come out of your mouth. It's more than just syllables that are spoken uh, off of your tongue. But Lagos is really, it's something far deeper. It's a concept. It's a concept. It is is a a, a blueprint, if you please. And this is the way I like to look at it. The the Lagos is God's blueprint. Now, I'm going to tell you that this building, this structure, was not just thrown together. Somebody, different men walking in with with two-by-fours and two-by-sixes and whatever else and deciding I'm going to put something up here and I think I'll put a door in here. And for this building to be built, somebody had to draw up a plan. Right? Right? You can't just take, I don't care how skilled the carpenters are. You can't just give them tools and materials and say, go build a building. Somebody's got to have a plan. And in the beginning, God had a plan. He had a blueprint. He knew what needed to happen. In the very beginning, you understand, in the very beginning, God had a plan. And that plan was with God. Now here's where Trinitarians want to say the word is the second person that God had. And he's with God the Father, which is the first person. So since they are together, that makes them two. No, no, no. You've missed the whole point. Here's what it's saying. In the beginning, there was a plan. And that plan was not just out here in the cosmos somewhere. But that plan was with God. God's the one who had the plan. And furthermore, understand the last part of that. In the beginning... Was the plan. And the plan was with God. And the plan was. The plan was God. The plan was not that I'm going to find somebody else. The plan was not that I'm going to. Just suppose God searched through heaven. Couldn't find one willing to be. The supreme sacrifice. That was needed. That could buy eternal life. For you and me. No, God didn't search through heaven. God didn't have to search through heaven. God wasn't looking for a redeemer. Do you get this? In the beginning was the plan. And the plan was with God. And the plan was... God, He was the plan. Here's what He said. i got a plan to save man, and that plan is me. I'm the one that's going to do it. I'm the one that's going to bring about salvation. I'm the one that's going to redeem them. I don't need a second person. I don't need a committee. I'm going to do this job myself. Oh, hallelujah. In the beginning was the plan, and the plan was with God. And the plan was God. That's the Lagos. That's the Lagos. Lagos. It it means reason. It means a concept. It means a thought. It means a doctrine, a purpose, an idea. But really, it means the expression and completion of one's will. And here's what he's saying. When he first started creating man, God's will was already with him. He already knew what had to happen, and he was willing to do it. I'm not going to look around and send my little boy to do the dirty work. I don't need to find a second person to do this job. Oh, hallelujah. Now, here's the problem. Because of this plan, the plan said that in order for man to be redeemed, there has to be shedding of blood. Read for me Hebrews 9.22.
1: And almost all things are by the law purged with blood, and without shedding of blood is no remission.
0: This is the way God set up his plan. This is the way he did it. All right? All right. It's like a builder who, who comes along and says, look, we're not going to use, we're not going to use wood. Uh, the plan calls for metal studs, all right? If that's what's in the blueprint, then that's the way it's got to be. And in God's blueprint, here's what he said, the only thing that can take away sin is blood. Now, that's God's will. That's his plan. That's his blueprint. God said, it's going to require blood to redeem mankind. And I'm going to be the Redeemer. But here's the problem. God, the Father, is a a spirit. A spirit doesn't have blood. Now the blueprint requires blood. The plan calls for blood. But the Father, a spirit, doesn't have blood. But he didn't have to look for somebody else that did have blood. No, John one fourteen tells us how he remedied this situation. In the beginning was the Word. The Word, the blueprint, was with God. And that plan, that blueprint was God. And so how are we going to remedy this? Verse 14.
1: And the Word was made and flesh. And that
0: blueprint, that plan, that will was made flesh flesh. God said, here's how I'm going to fix it. Right now, I am nothing but spirit, but in order to redeem mankind, my plan is going to become flesh. I'm going to take on what I've never had before. I'm going to assume a robe, a coat that makes me like my creation." Because if they're going to be redeemed, there's got to be the shedding of blood. But I can't just have anybody shed their blood because their blood's tainted. Their blood's carrying sin. Their blood's been handed down from Adam, the original sinner. So God said, I'm going to, I'm going to come up with something else. I'm going to do something else. I myself, who am sinless, I'm going to take on a coat of flesh and I'm going to shed blood for them. And the Word was made flesh. The literal Greek here is that the Word became flesh. Look, we talked about a blueprint. This building had to have a blueprint of some kind. There had to be some kind of drawing, right? I know not all blueprints are as elaborate as others. I got a feeling since this building was built in Johnson County, Jerry, you probably saw the blueprints, but I got a feeling Johnson County didn't allow just about anything. I got a feeling they were pretty strict on what they said you could have as far as blueprints that would be acceptable here. I know what we went through getting approved what's out there. And uh, it was a battle with the folks at the county uh, and, and the city trying to get them to agree to things. And, and uh, I think the biggest problem was it was going to be a tax-exempt building, and they were hoping somebody would build something where they'd get some revenue out of it. So They kept disapproving everything we tried, and we'd have to go find a new building where they'd approved it, and come back and say, no, you approved it here. Oh, okay, all right, well, then this is wrong, and on and on we went. So I I just, I don't know how elaborate the blueprints were. I got a feeling Johnson County required some pretty elaborate blueprints, but this is what I'm going to tell you. I don't care how detailed those blueprints are. You can't have church in a set of blueprints. You know, some months ago, uh, Brother Josh went and found the blueprints for that new building. And, and I got to take a look at them again. First time in several years that I've, I've gone back and actually looked over it. And man, I'm, I'm just imagining in my mind what that building is going to look like and what it's going to be like. And all the things that, that are going to be a, a part of that. And, and, and what a blessing that's going to be to us. And I'm going to tell you, it's all imagination when you're just looking at the plan. can't have church in the plan. We can't have a a, a Christmas banquet in the fellowship hall of the plan. At some point, that plan has to be fleshed out. It's got to be put into action. And somebody's got to dig some footers, pour some concrete. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Somebody's going to have to do some work so that the plan can become reality. God had a plan, and the plan was God. He said, here's what's got to happen. I'm going to take on flesh so that I've got blood to shed for them. And so 1 Timothy 3.16 says this. And without controversy, without controversy great is the, is the mystery of godliness. Not the mystery of the Godhead, but the mystery of godliness. Read. God was, manifest, God was in the flesh. manifest or made known in the flesh. Right. Oh, hallelujah. The Jews tried for centuries to get to know this God. They learned bits and pieces about Him. But one day, He arrived on this earth as one of them. And he became known, he was manifest in the flesh. Who was? God was. God was. When we read God, we're talking about the Father. The Spirit was manifest. The Spirit was manifest in the flesh. And I'm telling you, while he walked in the flesh, he was justified in the spirit. He was seen of angels. He was preached unto the Gentiles. He was believed on in the world, and he was received up in the glory. Who was? God in flesh. That's who. Not the second person of the Godhead, but God in flesh. Oh, hallelujah. Look. Look. To me, the doctrine of the Trinity is one of the most insulting doctrines that people could come up with to apply to God. First of all, the very idea that it takes three persons to make this one God is insulting. You don't need any persons to make God. God made persons. Hallelujah. Secondly, secondly, it's insulting because here's what that doctrine teaches. That the Father looked down on us and saw that we needed redemption. That we needed somebody to shed blood for us. And the Father turned to the Son and sent the Son to die. Now, this is the doctrine of the Trinity. The Father sent the Son to die. And the Trinity teaches that while the Son was dying, the Father turned His head away and would not watch His own Son die. Now, I'm going to ask you something. I don't have any sons. I do have a son-in-law here today. And uh, he came over to do some work, and I appreciate it very, very much. They, they already had a few feet of snow in Lynn Valley and, and uh, canceled their service for this morning, so I put him into service this morning. <sighs> Hallelujah. And uh, he's, he's come to kind of clean some stuff up out there, and I appreciate it very, very much. I, I love my son-in-law, love Brother Brandon Hilton. Now, so, so I don't have a son, but, but i got a son-in-law. And I want to ask you, if this building caught on fire today, And the only people to escape the sanctuary was Brother Brandon Hilton and myself. And we're standing outside this building, and you're caught in the flames of this building. And I holler back inside and say, New Life, don't worry. Don't be afraid. It's going to be all right. I'm not going to let you perish. I love you, and I'm going to save you. And here's how I'm going to do it. Brandon, go get them. I'm not watching. You tell me that's love? Is that love? That's not love by any definition that I know. If I've got to send somebody else to do it, and then I won't even watch while they're doing it, that's not love. I'm sorry. I don't mean to be offensive. But that's cowardice. And my God is not a coward. That's why in the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. And the Word was not another person in God. But the Word was God. He said, I'm going to do it myself. So I'm standing outside this building, and here's what I say. I can't come in those flames the way I am, but if I'll put on an asbestos suit, if I'll put on another garment on the outside, I can get in there and get you out. That doesn't change who I am. That doesn't change what I am. I just took on a new dimension. And that's what the Father did. He said, I can't save you as a spirit because of the plan. But I'm going to put on a coat of flesh. And I'm coming down there myself. Woo! Hallelujah. Hallelujah. So I know, I know, I know, I know all about John 3.16. I can quote John 3.16. And uh, maybe some of you can too.
1: You know, it's amazing
0: when I go to Africa, every one of them can quote John 3.16. Now, when I'm teaching, I don't, I don't like quoting as much as I like having it read, having it up on the wall. Everybody can see what the Scripture actually says. So let's put John three sixteen up there and let's let's look at it. John three sixteen. Did I not give you that? I didn't give it to you, did I? Well, it's all right. You find it. Can you find? Yeah, I know. We'll, we'll go there. But right now, John three. Can you find that? Comes right after John two. All right. I'm just making sure. Just trying to help. Verse sixteen comes right after verse fifteen. Got it? All right. John three sixteen. What's it say? For God so loved
1: the world world. that He gave His only only.
0: Son. Now, here's an important thing. Because the Trinity teaches that Jesus is the eternal Son of God. John 3.16 does not call Him the eternal Son of God. He's called the begotten Son of God. There's a big difference between that which is begotten and that which is eternal. That which is begotten has a Beginning. God so loved the world that He gave the Son which had a beginning.
1: That whoso believeth in, in Him, him should, should not, not perish but have eternal and everlasting, everlasting life. life. So
0: this is what the Scripture says. The Trinitarians want to tell me. So the Father loved us so much that He sent the Son and the Son died for us and the Father didn't watch it happen. And that's the way they interpret John 3.16. My answer is you can't You can't properly interpret John 3.16 until you read 1 John 3.16. 1 John 3.16 puts John 3.16 in its proper perspective. Because John 3.16 is not talking about one person sending another person. He explains it in his first epistle in 1 John 3.16. Here's what he says.
1: Hereby perceive
0: we the love of. Wait a minute. This is how we know the love of whom? God. Who? God. Who? This is how we know God loves us Not because he sent somebody else But how do we know God loves us Because Because he he, because he, Because he Because he Because he God laid down his life for us That's how we know he loves us Not because he sent somebody else But because he came and did it himself Oh hallelujah Praise God. That's how we know God loves us. That's how we know God loves us. Because God said, I'm going to do it myself. Now that's love. That's real love. Hallelujah. Praise God. Thank you, Jesus. I just all the time. I said, I was going to try to let you out early. Here, I got, I got so much more. We'll have to save it for another day, all right? If I get into the next one, we, we ain't getting out on time. So, hallelujah. Look, be careful what you ask for, all right? You might get what you ask for, and then sometimes when you get what you ask for, you wish you hadn't asked. All right, all right. Look, let me just show you something, church. I want to go back. I want to talk about this. That Revelation called him the Lamb that was slain from the foundation of the world. How was he slain from the foundation of the world? Not through a literal Calvary. Right? Calvary didn't happen before the foundation of the world. How was he slain? Where was he slain? Before the foundation of the world. In the mind of God. That's why I finally looked at my wife. Everybody else just giving me that snowman in the sunlight. Look, hallelujah. We're about to melt. Don't ask us hard questions like that. Uh, he was not slain literally, but he was slain in the mind of God. From the foundation of the world, it was done. Because when God determines something, it doesn't change. When God made His plan, He didn't have to alter the plan. He didn't have to go back and make adjustments. So from the very foundation of the world, the Lamb was already slain. In the mind of God. That's why in the beginning was the plan. The plan was with God and the plan was God. You understand? In his mind, this deed is done. It's settled. Go back to some of the things we talked about Tuesday night. God calling Abram, changing his name, saying your name is now Abraham, which is the father of many nations. Now, when God said that, it was already done in his mind. Abraham didn't have seed as the sand of the sea and the stars of the heaven, in a literal sense. But he did in the mind of God. In fact, when God would speak to him, he spoke of your seed. Not the seed that is coming, but your seed. He spoke of it as though it already existed, because in his mind it did. And once it exists in the mind of God, it settles. Well, I could get just a little bit sidetracked here and tell you something, church. Every promise that God has ever made to this church, it's in His mind. And once it's in the mind of God, it doesn't alter. It's already a settled fact. We may be looking amen, at some empty pews today, but God's not. We may be looking at some loved ones who say, oh, I'm not interested. But that's not the way God's looking at them. When it's in the mind of God, it's a subtle fact. Once God has established something in his mind, there's no turning back, there's no going back, there's no changing, there's no altering. God knows what's going to happen. He calls those things that are not as though they were. The Bible says he worketh all things after the counsel of his own will. He doesn't need two other people in the Godhead to work things out. He can counsel with his own will. Well, hallelujah. And so once it is determined in the mind and the plan and the will of God, he can talk about it as though it is current. Now, look, I don't want to get too sidetracked in all this. I've said it before, but the Bible does say of him that he... uh, he inhabits eternity. Eternity is His abode. Eternity is His home. Eternity, eternity to us, involves the past, the present, and the future. And that's God's home. Alright? Look, you, you, many of you came by the house uh, last month and and, and uh, let us... Tell you how much we love you and feed you real good with the best cooking on the planet. And uh even though it's nachos and not tacos, it was it was good. You better say amen. Huh? Don't you mess with my wife's cooking now? Uh, and you know, there were many times I or somebody else would walk from my living room into the kitchen. And nobody applauded me. And nobody sat there with their mouth open. Wow. That's tremendous. He can go from the living room to the kitchen. No, these are just two rooms in my house. And I can step from one to the other with ease. God has a house called eternity. And one of the rooms in that house is yesterday. The past. And that's why when we come down to an altar and we repent of our sins, we're baptized in Jesus' name. The Lord just steps into yesterday. And He said, all this sin that's on the record here, it doesn't exist anymore. I'm getting rid of all of that. I'm cleaning out this room of yesterday. I'm getting rid of everything that's on the record as of this moment. He can step into yesterday. It's not a problem for God. Let me tell you what else he can do. He can walk from today into tomorrow. And the problems that you're worried about that are coming down the pike, God's already there. That's just a room in his house. And the same way he stepped into your yesterday and eradicated the sins that were there, he can step into your tomorrow and get rid of those problems. So these are all things that exist in his house. And that's why God can step into the future and call Abraham the father, of many nations. He's just speaking from the room of tomorrow. And in tomorrow, it already exists. So, Jesus was the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. How is that? It's because way back here, before yesterday was, God had already stepped in to that tomorrow. And He saw the Lamb hanging there. He saw the sacrifice that was going to be made. And it was done. So I said all that to say, here's a good answer to a question that some of you, maybe, maybe you don't ever get asked. Usually if you get asked this question, it's somebody who thinks they are a scholar or a theologian. Generally, uh, most people on the street don't think about these kinds of things unless somebody points it out to them. But I want to just show you a scripture here, and we're going to explain it in the light of what I said, and then I'm going to quit, I promise. Pronto. Muy pronto. I used... I used Spanish the other the other service, so let's do it again. Muy pronto. Hallelujah. All right, now, 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 I want you to read for me what Jesus said in John chapter 17. John 17, verse 5, Jesus is praying. And
1: Pray. now, O Father, glorify Thou me with Thine own self. All right, now, hang on, hang on. Let's take it a little bit at a time.
0: And now, O Father, when we read Father, we think, so here Jesus is speaking as the son. It is his flesh that is speaking. Not one person speaking to another. But the flesh is talking to the spirit. And here's what the flesh says to the spirit. Glorify thou me with thine own self. With what?
1: With the glory. With the glory which I, have which I have with had thee. with thee. Before Before the world world was.
0: was. What glory did he have with the Father before the world was? I'll tell you what glory it was. It was the glory of the cross. He had that in the mind of God. Are you hearing me? He had that in the mind of God. He was the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. This is not a pre-existent Son of God. Who had glory along with the Father in eternity past. This is the man Christ Jesus. And you know what's about to happen? John 17, do you know what's about to happen? He's going out that very night into the garden of Gethsemane. This is his last meeting with the disciples. He's going out to spend an agonizing night in prayer only to find the sun about to come up and Judas walking in with an army of Romans behind him. He's about to head to Calvary. And what's he saying in this prayer? And now, O Spirit, glorify me with thine own self, with the glory which I had with thee before the world was. I was the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. I'm ready to face that glory now. The suffering, the agony, the pain, the tears, the death. As terrible as it was. Somebody said it was a terrible, wonderful cross. It was an ugly, glorious cross. Because of the glory that was purchased for us through that act of redemption at Mount Calvary. Are you hearing me? It's not two separate persons carrying on a conversation here. But when he speaks of the glory he had with the Father before the world began, he's talking about that glory that existed in the mind of God. Hallelujah. Oh, I love this message. I love this message. I'm glad I know there's only one God. I'm telling you, church, this is the most beautiful message in the world! To believe there's only one, and yet He loved us enough, He came to die for us! What a glorious message! What a beautiful message! What a wonderful message! I'm telling you, the cross ought to mean more to us than it does any Trinitarian on the face of the earth. And I'm not putting them down. I'm just telling you, we ought to appreciate it more than what they ever could. Because they believe one person sin another. We understand there's only one God. He's the one who came. That makes Calvary all the more glorious for us. It makes Calvary all the more wonderful for us. Do you understand? Do you understand? That cross, that cross that was fashioned from a tree. Who made that tree? The one that was going to hang on it. He made the tree they hung him on. Who created the iron? From which they would fashion those nails. God did. He created the nails that held Him there. Who created the men that put Him on that cross? Who created the soldier that pierced His side with a spear? Who created the crowds that spit in his face and beat him and mocked him? Who did it? This wasn't the second person in the Godhead. This was Elohim, the Creator, Jehovah, Adonai, El Shaddai. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. This was the one who said, let there be, and there was. And the very things that he created were now being used against him, but it was all a part of his plan. That tree didn't spring up overnight, Brother Thompson. That tree had been growing for a while. It took many, many years for that tree to become sturdy enough, big enough, strong enough to make a cross out of. But way back, God started the wheels in motion to get a tree at the right place at the right time. Because in the beginning was a plan. And that plan was with God. And that plan was. I'm going to get everything together. I'm going to get everything right. And at the appointed time, isn't that what Galatians said? When the fullness of time was come, God sent forth His Son, made of a woman, made under the law. The Son was made of a woman. When the fullness of time was come, God created a human body He made the womb that incubated him. Oh, wonder of wonders A God who's too expansive for the universe. Takes on a body that fits in the womb of a young girl. Oh, oh, how could it be? How could it be? But it did it. You talk about love. Hereby perceive we the love of God. For God so loved. Hallelujah. Let's stand. Let's lift our hands to Him today. My